you ever hear the tragedy of Darth Plagueis the White? Darth Plagueis, the Dark Lord of the Sith, so powerful and so wise, he could use the Force to influence the midi-chlorians to create... Together, we can rule the galaxy as father and son. You may want to rule as father and son, but this here is no place for a Padawan. This is the dark side. This is Sith Dark. Everything is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> The chosen one. He will bring balance. Train him. Ladies and gentlemen, rebel scum and loyal to the Empire, this is the Sith Talk, where we like to talk all things Star Wars movie news, books, speculation, business side. We love to get into it all. And joining me today is my co-host, Brandon. Brandon, we got to come up with a, uh, with a name for you. I'm the Lord of Lore. We got to, like, figure this out, and, like, soon. The Acolyte of Ahsoka? The Acolyte of Ahsoka. Huh. I mean, I f- I maybe keep the, the alliteration going. I don't know. Hey, let's do this. If you're listening to this episode and you have ideas, tweet at Clashing Sabers or on Instagram at Clashing Sabers or Sith Talk. And uh, and let us know what my name should be. Be yeah, nice. Let's do it. I'll, I'll probably throw up some. Uh, I'll throw up like a little picture of you, and we can do the bloops on the Sit Talk Instagram. Let's do it. So, what have you been doing lately? Uh, life, Star Wars, both, all the oh, above. Oh man, it's been it's been uh, a, a time. Uh, got to go see my family for Thanksgiving and spend some time there. So, it wasn't really doing a ton of Star Wars uh, over over the break because i don't get to see them um as often but still reading ronin um i've crossed the barrier of where um i, I think i mentioned on the last episode i had to go back and uh kind of restart it so i've crossed the barrier of what i had read before with a much better understanding of the text so got that going on and then uh actually i'm excited for what we're going to talk about tonight because um we my girlfriend and i are re-watching or well, actually she is watching for the first time uh, the Star Wars saga, um, and I'm getting to experience that kind of through her eyes for the first time, which is super, super fun. So we actually uh, just watched episode one yesterday, and then you and I were talking about it, and we're like, let's talk about Qui-Gon and the Chosen One. <laughs> and I was like, that's that's very apropos for, for where my headspace is right now. So yeah, that is uh, that, and then, you know, same old, same old, uh, getting ready for the fundraiser. Got some cool content that's going to drop for that pretty soon here. Um, so, you know, all positives, all positives. Yeah, nice. Uh, as far as I go, I went from being, like, super busy to just having time and so much time on my hands. I had booked some vacation time for <clears throat> December, and my boss, who is slash my dad, kind of asked, you know, hey, I understand you took this time off. Was there any way that you'd want to, like, take next week off instead of December? Because I'm wanting to take Tammy somewhere, and we can't both be out. And I was like, hmm, I don't like the uh, 
ask me about it, but this seems spontaneous. So yes, I will do it. Um, so I'm actually off. I'm on vacation right now. I'm, I went from being like super swamped to just like having time on my hands. So things have been great. I'm trying to get, I'm trying to get the, I want to get like a Star Wars trilogy party going, um, sometime soon. But as far as what I've been Star Warsing, I finally caught up on the, uh, High Republic comics and they're doing an amazing job there. I'm really loving those. And then after two years, I haven't played as much as I'd like to because I get into like TV moods and then game moods. I'm very weird. Um, but I had finally got into the old Republic again because they're coming out with new expansions December 7th and I was already behind on one of them. So that's been fun. I realized how ridiculously rich I still am in that game. And so I'm having a blast. If you've never tried it, you probably shouldn't cause you're going to sink a lot of hours, but I forgot how much the game adds to it just being its own thing and accepting that and how truly great that game's lore is. Do you know anything about the old, the old Republic uh, MMO game? Uh, not specifically about the game. I know like the characters um, and stuff from uh, some of the books. Uh, I read the old Republic books, but I haven't gotten specifically into the video game for the exact reason that you just said of... Uh, you're going to sink a lot of hours into it. Um, but I, I did hear that they are... I think they're re-releasing it All on Switch. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, and then, you know, the 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 new one. or the Is it a new one, or is it an updated version of what already exists? Okay, so the timeline gets kind of crazy. In the, and, and this is something that I think is is amazing i think the writers of this um mmo is what has kept it alive for so long so basically at the beginning of this whole you know when they released the mmo is very much jedi versus sith you know mandalorians and republic commandos you know mandalorians being on the bad side whatever and then after years of doing that they expanded the lore to what is called the eternal throne and from the sith side you're always like the emperor there's a sith council and there's always a mention of the emperor but nobody ever seen him and basically after years of playing this game they come out with an expansion called knights of the eternal throne and it was basically this it's this ancient empire in another galaxy that had been also, he started the Sith Empire and kept himself, like, kind of... Um, uh, he never revealed himself, but he was the Emperor. So he was essentially playing both sides. And he, in this expansion, has a a want out of your character. And he's playing both the Jedi and the Sith, and he's the reason for this entire war. And now he wants to take since they have weakened each other, he wants to take the whole galaxy for themselves. So the Jedi and the Sith actually team up and and have to stop this eternal throne so that they can get back to their war. So to make this long story that you didn't need to know, but I'm going to tell you because I think it's really cool, essentially this new expansion is about them getting back to their own war. 
because they had been in the game, they had been like kind of pressing pause and working together for all these years, which was super fun to play, like Jedi and Sith working together. Like Clone Wars does that a little bit. You know, you have like um, Ahsoka and Asajj working together. Um, Then even if you go to Rebels, you know, during Twilight of the Apprentice, you have Maul and Kanan and Ezra and Ahsoka kind of working together, even though their their titles might not be specifically Jedi and Sith at that time. So it's it's interesting. And, And it's also like, you're you're explaining everything with the emperor there. I'm like, oh yeah, that's 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 Palpatine, just with different pieces in play. But he's not. But he's not. That's the coolest part about him. He is not a play on Palpatine. He is titled the Emperor, but he, as far as who he is, he is not evil or good. He is not. He is literally balance. And he is just the equal, like the equilibrium, the um, the spine of the force. He does both good and evil. And he's not, he is a powerful man, but he's not, he is twisted, but it's not like malice. It's not of, it's very complicated. And he has his family who are like basically... Like, this family is basically uh, the Mortis episodes. These people are so powerful that they are, like, ascensions of the Force. And the family dichotomy is very interesting. I don't, I don't like, I, this is the thing I love about Sith Talk. Like, we just, we will get to the Qui-Gon, but, like, there's things that we just kind of branch off. But what I'll probably end up doing is I'll send you some of the, eternal throne stuff and you can check it out if you'd like it or not but it's just very cool the concept is amazing like a lot of the guards there they eventually reveal them as the knights of zakul and zakul is the main system in which this eternal throne uh resigns and so like all of the guards instead of looking like stormtroopers or sith troopers they literally look like a star wars version of of knights in armor and they have lightsaber spears and they're super powerful there's a lot in there just and i'm going off of just base of what you said you know that sounds really intriguing um i do have a problem with with the and and i want to preface this by saying i don't play a lot of video games so a lot of this is just coming off of uh you know perceptions of watching youtube video playthroughs and stuff like that but i do think that something that video games have to be careful about and one reason why i like the version of games that we've gotten thus far is this whole jedi powers thing because i i think that kind of diverts our conversations to who's the most powerful when that's not really what the conversation is about in the actual canon stories right like it's cool for a video game to learn all these cool powers and have force unleashed and stuff like that but then when you take it over and now you're like oh well what if you know in the movies who is the most powerful when the movies show us that it's not who has the most power it's how you utilize that power it's how you uh how you present yourself it's the actions that you do knowledge and defense never for attack but i think i think that's really intriguing this idea of having these different factions and the history of them and especially when you think about like 
now that we have the High Republic and we're starting to see like more about the philosophies of of the galaxy or of the Jedi and and how they relate to the galaxy and stuff to go back like farther like that and see how those things evolved I think is really intriguing. Well, um, and and like obviously I understand that you you know haven't watched this. I I, I will send you a full thing and and then you'll kind of you'll understand uh sand it a little bit better but what i what i like about this i'm not saying i'm not exactly saying i want this for the old republic movie uh i definitely don't i want the old republic game to be a little bit kind of closer but not the exact same as the one that i had growing up i would i would like a little bit of deviance um that being said, if they just straight up rip it and give me better graphics, I really don't care. But what I liked about this one, um, about this expansion and this idea, is because it still gives people what they want when it comes to an enemy of Star Wars, being that they are uh, uh, Force users that are very powerful, but it's also different than the dichotomy of light, dark, like, it's just, uh, the Emperor is evil. This guy is more of a, a complicated man, and you can kind of see why he does what he does. And once you reach that level of power, what you would do, he's not, you know, he's... I just thought it was a very original idea, and I'm not exactly saying that I would want it for um, the actual movies or the story. I just, I just think it's something that is very original, and it's what has kept me going back to the game. It is also the reason why I'm fascinated with uh, yellow-bladed lightsabers because the entire uh, like family of the uh, the emperor they all rock yellow lightsabers, and I actually bought my yellow lightsaber because of the Knights of Zakul. I thought that I just thought the yellow blades look so sleek, and even though my player is a Sith Lord in the game, I rock two ye- yellow-bladed lightsabers. So, yeah, we probably talked about this at the time, but what was your reaction to uh, uh, Ray turning on that yellow lightsaber? Um, that is something that I've wanted uh, f- for years from the beginning. I, from the beginning of, and if you guys look, you guys could look at the older Sith Talk stuff if it's still up. Um, I, I had been wanting uh, yellow bladed lightsaber since like we started the show. I always thought that it was going to be the end of the end of her staff and it was going to be a yellow bladed lightsaber by the end of it. I just think it made sense. Um, I don't think yellow because she's a girl. I think yellow is the symbol of to me when I see yellow, I see um, I see hope. I see class. I see um it just has a class to it, and it and it the yellow bladed lightsaber is so clean. And I always thought that Ray embodied that the same way Bastila embodied. Like they they kind of did take some of her attributes from Bastila Shan in the Old Republic, and Bastila did have a yellow bladed lightsaber. Um, it just made sense. They always add something to the trilogies, you know, like they added the green for Return of the Jedi. They added purple with Mace Windu. I think it just makes sense, and it's a 
clean, beautiful color, and it's something new. And if Rey is going to start a new Jedi Order, um, well, frankly, she's... I think it embodies uh, change as well. So anytime I watch like Star Wars with a new person or like talk to somebody who's just getting introduced to it, the idea of, you know, what do the lightsaber colors mean comes up. And it's this interesting situation because you have some lightsaber colors that do mean things. You know, the red blades because of the they bleed the crystals. Uh, Ahsoka's white lightsabers because she healed those crystals. And even if you look at Ray's lightsaber, you've got that blue and green little flicker inside, so you can, you know, make the inference that that's uh, Leia and Luke's uh, lightsaber crystals in there, right? So you have all this this whole mix where, okay, these lightsaber colors do mean things, but then the other lightsaber colors don't mean things. And I remember. Well- it, Growing up, I always figured, oh, the green lightsabers for masters. Once once you become a Jedi master, you get a green lightsaber because you know Luke became a Jedi in Return of the Jedi. You know, basically a master because he was the only one left. Green lightsaber. Yoda, green lightsaber. Qui Gon, green lightsaber. So it's one thing I kind of wish that they would fully dip their toes into, and and it's going to be harder now with the High Republic. But to have those lightsaber colors actually mean well, something about the characters. Technically, okay, I gave you more of what I thought, but technically, in the old canon before um, Disney had bought them, Jedi or uh, yellow bladed lightsabers usually embodied the Sentinel, the Jedi Sentinel. Uh, green was the counselors, and blue was the guardians. So it would be a Jedi guardian, blue. Qui-Gon the counselor because he was more in tune with the force this was something that George kind of held on to for a little bit and you know deviated later um but uh yeah the the yellow bladed were the Jedi Sentinels and the Sentinels sought a balance between two other branches the counselors and the guardians while they possessed considerable combat skills and had somewhat extensive knowledge of the Force, Sentinels blended both schools of teaching and amplified them with a series of non-Force skills, which Ray does have, and it's technically kind of going into it, such as fields of security, computers, stealth, techniques, demolitions, repair, or medicine. These skills tend to take the forefront in the middle road approach to the problems. While a Guardian might bash down a locked door and a Counselor might simply knock, a Sentinel would instead use equipment available or ingenuity to pick the lock that kind of spells out ray so i mean even though it's not officially canon even though it's not officially canon it it still kind of holds true for now if somebody said i think ray is a jedi sentinel i would say you're you're probably very accurate and this point uh critiquing you would be so um stupid fucking stupid this sit talk i can do that uh, uh it, it would be really dumb um and good for somebody who could dig and see that so i i would say that is really kind of holds up to her so i could see why that would add as well and well, now and, you got me wanting to look up all the colors well there's also the the like if you go back in the lore of ray in the before the awakening book we get how she learned to pilot from uh old machines that she found in in scrapyards old uh pilot training simulations we'd learn how uh she studied different languages to be able to communicate with the people that she was trading with and working around and stuff so these things 
that, uh, you know, people just assume, oh, she just has this power. She just has this, oh, she can just understand everybody. Oh, she can just fly. It's like, no, she spent a lot of years studying these things and practicing these things. Um, and maybe she didn't know that it was going to turn out like it did or that, you know, she was going to have to pilot off planet, you know, like she did the first time or whatever. But, she, you know, she had those skills and she took the time to acquire those skills, knowing that they would be helpful in some facet um, of her life. And then, you know, of course, that kind of sounds like the Sentinels there, too. So what's funny is I just found while looking up all of these different uh, lightsaber colors. I have a super salty lightsaber color, uh, clearly leaning to in favor of the legends. And it says lightsaber colors and their meanings. Um, and it says, uh, Jedi who, uh, purple bladed lightsaber Jedi who have a very strong connection to both sides of the force and can be highly aggressive in battle. Canon? Because Sam Jackson wanted a purple one. Yeah. White. Yeah. White. Users are neutral between Jedi and Sith, but still are incredibly loyal to a faction they deem worthy. Canon reason? Because Ahsoka should look different when she ditches the Jedi. I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Some it really salty is. boys. But I mean, yeah, no, it is. It's true. But I also saw a couple other ones that were saying, like, orange means strength. Um, white means, uh, you know, kind of gray, which I, I'm kind of over the gray Jedi type thing. It's not it a took, thing. It took a while. Not a it thing. It took a while to get me there. Um, but yeah, I think there's a better way or at least a better name because even technically you could give the Eternal Empire the gray Jedi thing, but then I just, uh, it's kind of lame now. It's like, what are you? Reddit and message boards and stuff like that is where that whole, you know, conversation around the prequels kind of started, right? Where then everybody started just repeating these things that they had heard for years. And it's like, all right, but when did you actually, when was the last time you actually watched the movie? Like, when was the last time you actually talked with somebody who had a different different perspective about this kind of stuff, you know? And um, that kind of creates a problem there where we're not bringing in these other points of view. And so we just get these rope conversations, which is exactly what's happened around the gray Jedi. Um, so, and gray Jedi is just put on these characters who are still Jedi or close to Jedi, but just aren't following the same path as the other Jedi where, when we look at High Republic, it's giving us that, like, they didn't all uh, follow the exact same path. We have these different paths and stuff. And it's not that it makes them a great Jedi. It's just that there are variations. There are sects of Jedi. You know, you have, um, if you go into the the, Dar uh, the Darth Vader comics by Charles Sewell, you have the Bears Vow. Uh, you have... Uh, that was a very sick vow. Or oh. that, that was a very cool... Uh like um new original jedi kind of thing that was written right and it, and it made sense for the story and it made sense for the lore and all of that stuff where um the gray jedi thing and especially like i particularly go to of course ahsoka right because ahsoka is not a gray jedi like she doesn't there's no instances of her touching the dark side like 
there's no evidence of her ever associating with the dark side in any way, shape, or form, let alone equally doing light and dark. Like, there's nothing there to back that up. And kind of the same, this, this can kind of take us into the Qui-Gon stuff, because people call him Hey-o. a great Jedi, too. I know, that's what they call a segue. We've done this before. Uh, and, and there's, like, there's no evidence of him being a great Jedi. And even if you go to, like the non-movie aspects of it you look at master and apprentice and stuff like that he is the most jedi jedi he is the most light side light sider right like it's this weird conversation because you have these characters where they're like oh yeah qui-gon and ahsoka are like the ultimate jedi but then also qui-gon and ahsoka are gray jedi like you can't have both things like you, you you just can't do that it's not ice cream cake you gotta either have the ice cream or you gotta have the cake I think that what we're getting from the High Republic, we are seeing, and I've said this over multiple episodes, we are seeing the um, the downfall of the Jedi Order slowly. This is going to take hundreds of years because technically the High Republic is like right before, you know, a little bit before the Phantom Menace. So like technically that's still the High Republic, at least as of right now in the timeline. It's not too far behind. I think that everything we're seeing in the High Republic is the start of it slowly degrading to where it is now when we get to the Phantom Menace. And I think that's going to vary. Um, that I think the prophecies you see from Master and Apprentice are going to kind of be either revealed from a much later date, maybe from, um, what's my favorite character's name? I forget his name. Um, Stellan or Elzar? No, Elzar Man might even be the one that sees some of these prophecies that Qui-Gon sees later. Qui-Gon is, to me, not a great Jedi. Qui-Gon realizes that from an early standpoint as the character of what the Jedi have become, and he is the foreshadowing of what Anakin boils into because of that degradation, the fact that we lean on all of all code, all this, all that, the fact that no Jedi can talk to each other. It's something that I beat um, beat a dead horse with, but it is what it is. I think Qui-Gon, the High Republic, and the prophecies are all intertwined together, and Qui-Gon was just simply aware of these things before anybody else was. For most of these Jedi, even Yoda, it took Anakin killing and wiping everyone out for them to realize, oh shit, this kid couldn't talk to us. This is a huge issue, and Qui-Gon always bucked back on me, and I respected him, this being Yoda, I respected him, but now I see where he's coming from fully. Well, now and- I see it. And there's a beautiful comic, uh, the, the what is it, it was a one-off, Qui-Gon Jinn. Oh, the Age uh, of the Republic one. The Age of the Republic, and Yoda and him talk about these differences of opinion, and it's so powerful because Qui-Gon has a direct stance, and Yoda openly disagrees with him, and it's one of those things where Qui-Gon was just so ahead of his time. He's not a gray Jedi. He was just the OG. To me, he wanted to go back to the old teachings. Let's get back to the foundation instead of all this bureaucracy, paperwork, code, and bullshit we put up that we're now seeing in the High Republic start to really, over these next couple years of the series, moving time on, seeing these concrete and this paperwork being pushed harder and harder and pushing people out or forcing them to be that mold that they have to be. In Master and Apprentice, you have Qui-Gon, and he is 
offered a a seat on the council and he kind of doesn't tell anybody doesn't tell obi-wan they're already having problems uh communicating and things like that and by the end of the book through what they go through uh you know they reunite kind of and uh qui-gon denies the seat on the council which speaking of yoda yoda also said you know I didn't want you on the council. I didn't vote for you, but I was outvoted. And I think one of the things that I respect about about Qui-Gon and I respect about Yoda is they're not afraid to own their shit. You know, like Yoda tells Qui-Gon pretty much straight to his face. Um, it may be overcome, but it's pretty, you know, blunt and clear that I'm not one of the people that wanted you on the council. But I do still respect your opinion. I respect the opinion of the council. And so I think Yoda is this really interesting like pivot character where that might be the thread that helps make sense of how do we go from the High Republic to the Qui-Gon's to the Obi-Wan's and Anakin's and because like as much as we love Qui-Gon and I I love Qui-Gon um myself it's he, he's not without a little bit of I don't want to say darkness, but he's not above using the force and his position as a Jedi for some less than respectable things. You know, we have um, him. He he lies to Watto, right? He uh, moves the chance cube so it'll land on blue for Anakin. He... But that's not dark side. It, no, no, no. It's not dark side. That's why I didn't want to say dark side. But he... They're, they're less than reputable things. Now... The means justify the ends, and he, you know, I think we can all agree that even if he just got one of them out of slavery, you know, it probably would be best to to get Anakin out since he's still the child, and, you know, I think Qui-Gon and Shmi had a rapport where he would know that, that Shmi would want that and stuff like that, but, you know, he, he gets held up as, like, this perfect being, and he's not without a little bit of, of I don't want to say corruption, but a little bit of Flaws. shadiness. Right. He's he has flaws. Right. And I think that's important because we, we host these characters up as these perfect beings, these perfect Jedi. And and that's not quite what they are. But what they are is they are closer to what the Jedi of the High Republic were. But there's still that little bit of of fallenness that comes when you're stuck like there's no way to not be affected by the environment that you're around right so like you you probably know this in construction but the for if, if the people the environment you're around to build whatever you're trying to build is not solid it's going to take something out of you as well even if you do still hold true and you still are doing your best it's going to take something out of you so I think it'll be really interesting once we have like the entirety of the High Republic to see like these characters who I, I would say the characters in the High Republic are most similar for the most part to Qui-Gon. And Stellan might be a little bit closer to Obi-Wan. But to see and get more of that Yoda content there to see, all right, where's Yoda at here? And how does it end up where it ends up? Because I think that there's definitely some kind of connection there. And I like the idea that you have of the prophecy and everything like that. Well, I I definitely think that because Qui-Gon 
he he's the one who starts the conversation about the prophecy. I mean, we know in these books, or for those who don't know, in these books between Master and Apprentice, Dooku, Jedi Lost, some of these more Jedi prominent books in new canon, and these are the people that are actually like paying attention to these things. They're not just like kind of throwing it out there, like some of the things in like maybe the movies, whatever. That's a different conversation. These people are actually paying attention uh, to to try and create some correlation to the story and they talk about these prophecies a lot and Qui-Gon's really the one like Dooku was afraid to dabble into the prophecies and then he went over the edge and that's what kind of held him started making his path to the dark side grow and grow and grow because he just had a different yearning for these prophecies but Qui-Gon always kind of was aware of them, took them as they were, but if he saw the signs, he was going to follow through with them. As much as the Jedi had kind of, at this point in time, said, eh, the prophecies. Like the whole movies, Yoda's like, ah, prophecy misread, perhaps. A prophecy this, which he wasn't really wrong either on some of it, but he was also very like, brush your shoulder to it. And when it comes to Qui-Gon, I just believe that he had flaws he was not but he was never okay he was never trying to be the jedi the embodiment of the jedi he was because he was being himself as opposed to anakin fell because he was he was cracking under the pressure of what that mold looks like to the point that he lost his shit and hit fuck it which is a dangerous place in life. Qui-Gon accepted who he was, what his mission was, and that's what made him, to me, and a lot of our generation, the ultimate Jedi. I think another good analogy is looking at, like, religious culture in, in modern America. and You, you have, to me, Qui-Gon is someone who has faith, who has believes, who's seen the signs that they need to see but is also willing to adapt those perspectives to the world around him right there so there's a couple things in master and apprentice that back that up he talks about um i follow the light because it's the light not because i want to win some kind of cosmic war and then there is a and, and i'm very roughly paraphrasing here but he's talking to Obi-Wan and he essentially says, if our code tells us one thing and the needs of the people around us tell us another, is it any question which one we should listen to? Well, apparently it was a little bit of a question. But for Qui-Gon, it's, it's very clear. You help the people first, right? So you have those religious individuals. And this I'm speaking in broad generalities here and not calling anybody out or anything like that. I'm just kind of making this this analogy and this connection to give us some context. He's the religious person that can see the the text from the past and what's happening in the world today and adapt to those things, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas the council, and, and I'm particularly thinking like Mesa Windows and he, even Yoda to an extent in the prequels, we see a little bit of it go away and him move closer to Qui-Gon in the Clone Wars, but they're those people that will adapt what they see in the world to fit their text, right? Like, oh, no, that's not what that actually, that's, that's not really happening. Here's what's really happening because look what it says in my book. 
right? And that's dangerous because then when you raise children in that environment, which we see with Anakin, then they have to, like you said, live up to this unrealistic standard because what is reality is actually no longer reality, right? And so that gives you the the characters like Anakin and it gives you the characters like even like Dooku, right? So Dooku is one of those kids that was raised in a religious household that was always, you know, just for, for lack of a better term, being beaten over the head with a Bible and went off the deep end and went to the wrong, like went way to the other direction in, in an unhealthy manner, right? And... This isn't about religion or saying one thing's right or the other, but the Jedi are a, and we we have this from Luke and the Last Jedi, they're a religious institution, so we need to look at it through the, that context. And that, to me, is the, the parallel that we have and what makes Qui-Gon great. And I think we see this evolution with Obi-Wan once you get to, like, A New Hope and, uh, and into the original trilogy is Qui-Gon was willing to adapt. He was willing to say, you know... The reality that is literally in front of my eyes is saying something different than what this text says. The force itself is giving me these visions that he has. So I'm getting information literally from the source of what we believe directly given to me. I, I probably should follow that. And he adapts to that and he adjusts to that. And even we see that with, uh, you know, what he does once he's a, a disembodied voice is he you know, all right, I didn't, I wasn't able to get the, the complete steps to, to full reincarnation or force ghostiness, but I'm going to adapt to this. I'm going to use what I have and figure out a way to communicate this to the next generation and, and on to Yoda and then later on to Obi-Wan. So well, I think I that's think, what really makes him special. Yes, um, but... I guess to kind of add off the, you know, the religious analogy, um, it, it can be hard because I did grow up in a, so full disclosure, I grew up in a, a very strict religious church um, for most of my life. So anything that I say, it is because I grew up in it. I'm not disrespecting religion or anything like that or meaning to. I'm telling you my perspective of what it was for me growing up. Um, with, I feel like the Jedi and Christians can sometimes be a little bit close or they're both want the same thing, but sometimes the codes get in the way with a lot of things, um, growing up, I had started getting my own individuality and I had struggled with the Bible and how I wanted to live. And I'm not saying everything as a punk teenager I was doing was was probably the the best way to go, but I knew I was a good kid. I didn't drink alcohol, I didn't try any drugs, you know, but I wasn't perfect based on the Bible standards. And what we kind of had going on was all of us youth kids were, you know, talking about what we were doing the weekend, some of the good stuff, some of it bad stuff by the Bible standards. And then we would go and, you know, worship, but we couldn't really talk to anybody about it. You know, we, we had to deal with it eternally, internally. And when it comes to Christianity outreach in my church, it was very hard for them to get new members because they did not know how to talk to people. Um, my dad excelled at talking to people because he knew what it was like to go to the bar and get 
shit-faced or do drugs. He knew that other side of the world or even just the imperfect, you know, things that we do as, as humans. And some of these, most of the church that I grew up in, they had grown up in themselves and they were, have spent their whole life in this church, in this bubble. And when it comes to Qui-Gon and something like maybe like applying Christianity and Jedi, Qui-Gon is the Christian that essentially understands his flaws, understands how to outreach or talk to people or, or do what is right to get the job done. The Jedi are very polished by, you know, you have to get baptized. You have to do this. Okay. That's great that we have to get baptized and we have to do this, but let's just start by, by having a conversation of what can I do to help you today? Or what have you gone through? I'll tell you my mistakes. You tell me yours. He put his hands in, he wanted to get there and, and be, um, human to these people. Well, cause I think you're, I think you're definitely onto something there because I, I think Qui-Gon, if he got the chance would like sit down with Maul and have a conversation, right? Because when you, when you watch Phantom Menace, after he jumps back, you know, they have their, their first uh, lightsaber fight and he jumps up on the ship. There's there's no anger. There's no aggression. There's no... Disconnect. Any- there's disconnect between the Jedi. That's what I meant. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he just, he acknowledges that he was trained in the Jedi arts. He's not sure what he is, right? Um, yeah. But I do think that Qui-Gon is, is a character that, and and we see him uh, with Rail Av- uh, Avaros, I think it is. Yeah. Um, in Master and Apprentice, having you know conversations about things that they disagree on, um, he he would sit down with with Maul or with Palpatine or whatever, and and like have a conversation if that was a thing that could actually happen. But I, I think for me, when I look at Qui Gon, I think back to my experience in college when I was very into religion and everything like that, and was exploring and figuring things out for myself and what I believed or didn't believe, and and that's continued to evolve as I'm going, but. Particularly during that time, I worked in a store where uh, the owner of the store was agnostic. His wife was Jewish. There was uh, Christians to varying degrees of extremism. And, like, honestly, the most interesting conversations I had were with people who believed different things than I believed. And they actually revolutionized the way that I thought about how I enacted, acted in my life and, and what I was focused on and things like that. Because you brought in those different perspectives, right? And, like, I think, you know, you guys listening to Clashing Sabers probably feel like the same way in some sense because this is, like, we've tried to make this space and make this community where people can come with different points of view and talk about it, and it helps us evolve our perspectives. And that's what Qui-Gon is to me, is he's somebody who is always trying to get that information to continue to evolve his point of view. And at the end of Master and Apprentice... Uh, he, him and Obi-Wan are sitting there after he, you know, says he's not going to be on the council and uh, asks Obi-Wan to stay with him and, and basically says to Obi-Wan, like, yeah, dude, I don't know what's going to happen. I have no idea what the Force is going to tell me, but I feel like we should just listen to it. So if you're down, I'm down. Like, 
I probably screwed this up as the teacher for the first, you know, little bit. I have no idea what's coming next, but if you're willing to learn with me, I'd like to learn. And that's the the ultimate, to me, the ultimate educator, the ultimate, uh, you know, if you want to use religious terms, pastor or or shaman or whatever. Because Qui-Gon didn't want to sit at the pulpit. He wanted to sit with the people. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so... I want to go to this this prophecy um, before we, we run out of time here. This is the prophecy from Master and Apprentice, written by Claudia Gray. Uh, if you haven't read Master and Apprentice, dude, you've got to read that book. And then I have uh, a few articles, and we have a few podcasts on Don't Burn the Sacred Text. You can go back and read where we break down um, these all a little bit more. But this is specifically the one about the Chosen One that's referred to in in the prequels, and particularly in The Phantom Menace. So it says, quote, only through sacrifice of many Jedi will the order cleanse the sin done to the nameless. The danger of the past is not past, but sleeps in an egg. When the egg cracks, it will threaten the galaxy entire. When the force itself sickens, past and future must split and combine. A chosen one shall come, born of no father, and through, the, through him will, balance, will ultimate balance in the force be restored, end quote. A prophecy that Miss Reg could have been... The Jedi are obsessed with like this code that was created and this past that they're supposed to fit into where Qui-Gon is taking like, okay, here's these ideas that the past presented and here's how it applies to the future, right? So if you look at like America, right? There's, there's this segment that is obsessed with the Constitution and we have to do everything exactly like the Constitution says. And then there's the people that believe you know like yeah the constitution it's got some good stuff but let's remember that it was humans that were writing it most of them were in their 20s early late 20s early 30s and um we've had to amend it what 26 times by now drew's gonna kill me like it's not perfect we have to adapt to it and that's something that the jedi were not able to do and then of course uh there's there's my favorite line which is when the force itself sickens past and future must split and combine so to me that qui-gon kind of started to create that that uh combining and it was you know the jedi of the past which would be the you know the prequel jedi the mace windus the the even the obi-wans of the prequel era and the luke's and the rays that we have later like they had to find a common commonality and common ground in order to really be uh, able to heal the force and i think we see that kind of in ray and ben where you have ben i'm going on a whole rant here but buckle up Do ben uh, um you know kind of gets caught in the past of this is the legacy of my family this is who i'm supposed to be this is what the you know the galaxy says this is what my parents say this is what all of these expectations of you know although not a strict code a a kind of a code and a set of rules he created for himself and realized he could never lead up to that. And then you have Ray who had nothing and it just comes to, you know, want to find her belonging and, and she wants to find her place and she has no expectations. And when those two combine and they find the balance in between them, that's when they're able to, to overcome the ultimate evil in Palpatine and heal the galaxy. Um, and then there's this last line of born of no father through him, ultimate balance in the force will be restored for you. 
when we're talking about Qui-Gon, when we're talking about what the Jedi are supposed to be uh, or not supposed to be, like what stands out for you in that, that prophecy? It's more so the, the cleansing. I, I, that, that to me, I, I guess what I want to hear from this, and I don't know if we'll ever find out, is who wrote the prophecies. That's the story mm. that I want, simply because what is the who saw this? Did they see it? Did they not? I guess the prophecy, I've talked about it and discussed it, and I, I think every I think your breakdown is actually very accurate. Um, so I don't really have much more to offer than what you've said. Where mine where my mind goes is when it comes to cleansing, the cleansing of the the nameless, who's writing that? Because that's the person writing it is either a Jedi that's seen this whole thing play out and is writing it because he's seen the, he or she seen the whole thing played out. Or maybe it was done by a Sith who saw everything or, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just, I, I guess I would love to know who wrote this because cleansing of the nameless seems through the sacrifice of many Jedi, the order cleansed the sin done to the nameless. So it's not the, the cleansing of the nameless. Uh, right, but that doesn't that feel healing. like a Jedi wrote that. That doesn't feel... I don't know. I, 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 it still... Um, mass murder doesn't seem, uh, you know, evening the odds. You know, you don't kill more people. To, you know, like if you kill one side, it's still like... Eye for an eye doesn't work, and that kind of seems like an eye for an eye perspective. I don't know. I just, I don't know if we'll ever find that out. But just that little detail gives a kind of a dark undertone in the wording. You know, many Jedi because it could have said many Jedi will die, but in this sacrifice and this tragedy, great things will pass. Instead, it it kind of was like the sin the Jedi do to these people. Uh, they're all going to get wiped out and it's going to even the odds. That just seems like a weird perspective, I guess. Is I'm looking real high into the details, man. No, I, I don't disagree completely there. I think it's more the loss of the Jedi kind of cleanses the sin done to the nameless, meaning that it okay. doesn't heal it, but it ends it, right? So it's like... It's like taking a shower, right? You take a shower, yeah, it doesn't eliminate dirt, but it gets the dirt off your body so that you can start fresh again. It doesn't, like, you know when you go home after a long day, right, and you, you take a shower, you, you kind of clear your head a little bit like that, it doesn't get rid of the terrible day that you had, but it cleanses it and gives you a little bit of a kind of like right, a reset but kind of thing. to counterbalance from that perspective, I'm being a little radical, mind you. The Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor, and in return, we wiped them out, like, completely with Hiroshima. Did they get Clinton? No, they didn't. That An eye for an eye doesn't work. Like, that's... I, 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 I'm looking into a detail because I just... I see a dark undertone to it. That's all. That's the only thing I have to add to what you broke down. Well, here's a question I have for you, because um, this came up in conversation. In Harry Potter... Uh, in the books, they left it out of the movies, which is an absolute travesty. Um, but are you, I'm assuming you've read Harry Potter, yes? Like multiple times. Okay, like, cool. So there more than four times per book. Then we're on the same page here. You have the prophecy uh, that Voldemort sees that, uh, and I don't remember the specifics of what it says, but essentially, 
what we find out is it could have been Harry or it could have been Neville, but because Voldemort chose to go after Harry, assuming it was Harry's family, it made Harry the chosen one and Neville not. But it could have, if he had gone after Neville's family, Neville could have been, would have been the chosen one and Harry would not have. So there's this idea with prophecies of this self-fulfilling prophecy and like, if you say it's going to happen, you're going to find a way to make it happen kind of thing. And so I think that's interesting to consider when we're talking about Qui-Gon as kind of like a closing thought of did Qui-Gon in a way create this, not create the situation to find Anakin, because obviously that was circumstance and the force moving and stuff like that. But was he more open to being able to identify who is the chosen one. And was he more forceful about training Anakin because he was the chosen one and in doing so made him into what the prophecy said he was going to be like, did he fulfill that prophecy on his own because he was obsessed with these prophecies? Does that make any kind of sense? It makes complete sense, but it also adds to the, the other side of it. Did the Jedi making their choice, was it Qui-Gon or was it the Jedi being who they were when Anakin was being trained? You know, was this long degrading state? That's what makes prophecies so amazing when they're done right. And it's not like, oh, just pull the sword from the stone. When prophecies are ambiguous, but also forthcoming. That's when they're best because you can make the same argument on the degradation of the Jedi and the fact that Anakin could not talk to anyone about anything. And the fact that the Jedi doubted him and put training wheels on him because of this prophecy Um, and just him not being able to be human. You can look at it all different ways, but what is just is. That's what's amazing. And they and the answer to it is yes, Qui-Gon did have a hand in it. The Jedi had a hand in it. Meeting Padme had a hand in it. The Emperor had a hand in it. Every single thing that you see in the movie, the movies, had a hand in it. But nobody's solely responsible. Prophecies, when done well, just are. Before we pack up, I do want to read one thing out of the Age of the Republic comic um, because I think it shows both sides where Qui-Gon's coming from and the Council. We don't have to discuss it much more unless you would like to. We'll leave it up to our listeners to just meditate on it. So at the end of this, Qui-Gon and Yoda are having a philosophical conversation on uh you know in the outside the jedi temple and qui-gon says even here on coruscant the home of the jedi council there is little understanding of our purpose we are seen as soldiers servants of politicians with little mention of the force itself itself yoda says mysterious the force remains to be to many and misunderstood those who use the force often are Qui-Gon says, and yet our actions are a reflection of our purpose. Perhaps the Jedi Council residing here in the capital is part of the problem. We are used as a weapon of the Republic, and thus we are seen as such, perhaps by ourselves. 
Yoda says, on this, the council would not agree. Qui-Gon says, of course, but be it the council or myself, I feel there is a loss of vision. Yoda, when questions we have are when questions we have a deeper understanding from the force we must seek. Qui-Gon, on that we agree. And I think that answers a lot of questions on both their ends when it comes to their both viewpoints of Jedi philosophy, standpoint, code versus everyday person. I just think I think it's a bomb, and it was always meant to be this bomb that was going to spill. My only question, and this might be a great conversation for next episode of Sith Talk, we'll see, we'll feel free to change our minds if we want, is moving forward, once we move forward with the timeline post the sequel trilogy, will these Jedi understand both of these coins? Or will we see a revert back to old ways? I mean, just to kind of close out on that, like, I don't think we see a go back to old ways because I think we see Ray sees what happens when you do that when it comes to Luke. And I had this vision of the Jedi being something completely disassociated, but you know, being this group that goes around planet to planet helping whoever needs help with whatever they need help with. So there's a lot of potential there. And I think one of the beautiful things about Star Wars, for as much as George Lucas takes for the prequels, and there are some very valid criticisms of said films, some of the ambiguity that was left, whether intentionally or unintentionally, has added to a lot of conversations and a lot of podcasting. So... Thanks, George. Exactly. All right, so that'll kind of wrap up our conversation for today. But if you guys want to continue this, of course, we have our Facebook group, uh, Star Wars Clashing Sabers. We have our Twitter at Clashing Sabers uh, and over on Instagram. Plus, if you want to join our Patreon, you can hear some more of our thoughts on the movies. Um, We have a Phantom Menace commentary that you can get into. That's a lot of fun. Uh, Attack of the Clones commentary. Revenge. We have all of them. We have all the commentaries over there. Um, if you want a good time, that's a good solid 15 hours of listening for you over there. Zach, if they want to specifically talk to you and Sith Talk, where do they do that? You can find me at Sith, Sith Talker 25 talking all things Star Wars, working out, uh, comic books, and lately I've been getting into a lot of, well, D&D and Marvel. Um, as far as Sith Talk, check out our Sith Talk Instagram I've been posting more regularly just about fun things. Feel free to message me. If you have any questions that you have for the show, feel free to message me there. I also do some stuff on the Clashing Sabers. So, I mean, really just any of those. But specifically, if you want to converse back and forth about Sith Talk, message me on the uh, Sith Talk Instagram. And we might be able to get to some of those questions. And maybe your questions or comments might spark some more conversation. But with that being said, Brandon, may the force be with you. Always. Hey, looks like you're done talking Sith. Who? Oh, Scion, the bartender. Yeah, he's gone down a couple levels. You're gonna venture down there? Well, there's a few things you should know before you go. 
Sith Talk, all the Clashing Sabers Network, they ain't associated with Disney, Lucasfilm, or any of their subsidiaries. All these licensed sounds and whatnot all belong to whoever the hell they belong to. We just use them here for entertainment and educational purposes. Look, if you're unsure about something or have questions about what's what, email us at clashingsabersnetwork at gmail.com. And hey, on your way out, make sure you leave us a rating and review. Word of mouth is how people find out about this place. Now, get out of the way. I got paying customers to get Jedi you. Jedi business. Go back to your drinks.